Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. How's everybody doing this morning? These guys are quicker to respond than you guys. Just find that out there. A little, little faster on the drop. If you haven't been in our new space, it's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's really good. We're, um, we're right in the middle of a, a new collection of messages that is about pursuing the presence of God. And I just think pursuing the presence of God is, is so important. We, we've, got, we've got believers that um, have lived for God for a long time. They, they follow his word. They've been saved. They, they live uh, the way God desires them to live, but they've never experienced his presence. And I, I just want to say, like, the presence of God is sweet, and it's important, and it's part of your walk with God. It's a promise from God for you. It's a, it's a desire of God from him to you that you would experience the presence of of God. And so that's what this whole collection of messages is. It's about pursuing the presence of God. And last week we, we talked about that if you're going to do that, if you're going to uh, pursue God, you've got to pursue God on his terms. You, you, you can't love your spouse on your terms. You, you, if, if you're married, you've got, to, you've got to pursue them on their terms. You, you've got to show someone that you love them in the way that they receive love. And God has made it very clear to us ways that he, uh, that he receives love. And this week we're going to be uh, we're going to be jumping into it real quick here in a second. But next week we're going to go over the seven Hebrew words that have just changed my life, and I believe they can change your life too. There's seven Hebrew words that um, that are about worship that will that will drastically change your walk with God. So don't miss that next week. It'll be really good. Our our God is a God of principles. He's a God of of principles. And what that means is he's a God that has sort of like rules of operating, like, like the standard operating procedures for how it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Like principles are the path by which we reach the promises of God. Like everybody, anybody want the promises of God in your life? If we want the promises of God, but, but the promises of God are always preceded by the principles of God. And, and, and a great example of this is peace. I'll have people tell me, Pastor, would you pray for me that I would have peace? And I'm happy to pray for you that you would have peace. But the truth is, peace is, a, is provided for us through a principle in the Word of God. It says this in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, that you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. 
What that means is that the peace of God is not just something we pray for, but there's a principle. And there's, there's countless scriptures I could turn to for this one principle, that the peace of God is activated in our lives when we fix our minds on him. So in the middle of all of our circumstances, in the middle of everything that's going on in our lives, we fix our minds on him and he brings us peace. Another example would be encouragement. Anybody like to be encouraged? Encouragement. I mean, sometimes I'll pray. I'm just like God. I just, I just, you know, just encourage me. Would you, would you lift me up? Would you, would you, would you just? I just feeling down. I need encouragement. But can I tell you that encouragement is a principle in the Word of God? It says this in Proverbs eleven twenty five. It says, "Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed." So that means that when I refresh other people, I am going to experience refreshing myself. It's this principle in the word of God. And so the presence of God is one more thing that is attached to the principles of God. If I want the presence of God in my life, I must understand that there are principles that bring the presence of God into our lives. The the enemy of your soul wants you to to be ignorant of the principles of God. The enemy of your soul doesn't mind if you're inspired. The enemy of your soul doesn't mind if you're enthusiastic. The enemy of your soul doesn't mind if you're involved in church life so long as you are uninformed. You can be enthusiastic. You can be excited so long as you are uninformed. Informed. Can I just tell you that Hosea 4, verse 6 says this, that my people, God talking about his people, he says, my people are destroyed because they don't know me. In fact, this passage goes on and it says that when the people of God don't follow the principles or the laws of God, that God says, I will forget to bless their children because there is a strong consequence to not knowing what you're supposed to know. Let me say it like this. Ignorance is expensive. Being ignorant is expensive. Ignorant simply means that you don't know. It doesn't mean you're dumb. It means you just don't know. And that any area of your life that you are ignorant in, you will suffer in that area of your life. If, if, if you're... Ignorant about the tax code, you're going to suffer in your life. If you're ignorant about vehicles, every mechanic's going to take advantage of you. If you're ignorant about your bad breath, you're going to suffer relationally. And as a church, I'm just glad that we're a, we're a church that, that doesn't just settle for being inspired. We don't just settle for being excited. We don't just settle for good coffee and a great time. We want to be people that are informed about the things of God because when we know the things of God and we know the principles of God, we can experience more of God. 
So this is why, like right now, during the second service, there's a class going on across the foyer that's called Foundations. It's part of our Following God track. If you want to grow in your walk with God, it's called Foundations. The reason we do that is because we want to make an opportunity for someone to ask questions and so they can grow in their walk with God. We want people to grow in their walk with God. We're, we're people with, with a deep hunger for the things of God, especially the presence of God. And when I talk about the presence of God, there's always this underlying tension that I feel from people. Sometimes I'll hear it, but, but often I just kind of feel it as like a, a hesitation. And that is this idea that like, like, preacher, you don't really mean that you expect us to have this encounter with God. Like, don't, don't you believe that like God encounters are for like the... You know, the fanatic mystics, the, the fanatic mystics that these people that are just like super wide-eyed and crazy-haired, that they're the ones that have, they're from like Northern California, the crazy people. They're the ones that, somebody's like, hey, don't talk about me. You're in Idaho now. We, 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 <laughs> okay. But can I tell you that the, the presence of God is not some crazy thing for just the crazy people? Read your Bible. Virtually every time someone in the scripture is, is having a, 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 um, a direction from God, they have an encounter with God. I, I mean, encounters with God are frequent in the scripture to the point that if you read your Bible and you believe that it was intended to tell you what normal should be, normal should be that you have an encounter with God, that you have the presence of God in your life. When I think about the, the idea of these, these encounters in Scripture over and over again of people having encounters, I just wanted to take a moment to drill down on just one of those people who has an incredible encounter with God. And from that encounter, we discover some principles of God that connect to our ability to experience His presence. His name was Moses. He was a young boy. He was born during a time in Egypt when... The pharaoh of Egypt was murdering all of the young babies. And so his mother, in an attempt, she felt like there was something special about her child, which she better. <laughs> Every mom, like I'm surprised he's the only one. Like it should have been all the moms doing this. But she, she made a basket out of reeds and, and, and took some sort of tar or something and made it waterproof, put the baby in the basket and led him out into the Nile River. And as he floats off into the Nile, the Bible tells us that he ends up landing at a, a location where the daughter of Pharaoh was bathing. And she bring, goes down into the water and takes him out of the water, and this becomes his name, taken up out of the water. She's taking him from the water. This is Moses. And, and Moses then is raised in Pharaoh's household. So now Moses has two identities. He is both Hebrew ethnically, and Egyptian intellectually. So this is, I, I can relate to this because I have dual citizenship. I, I have U, United States citizenship and I have Canadian citizenship. I'm glad nobody booed. That's great. <laughs> Boo. And so I was, I was raised from junior high on in Canada. So I think very much Canadian. So there's things, I'll hear people say things, I'm like, you just didn't say that right. You know what I mean? Like I'll, write, I'll watch people write things down. They'll write the word color, and I'm like, you missed something. You missed an extra you. It's color. Like, 
Or, or I hear people say things like schedule, and, and inside, in my, in my spirit, I'm just like, ah, that does not fit. It's, it's schedule. Like, it's schedule. It's a little snooty, but it sounds better, right? And this is where Moses is. He's in the conflict of two different uh, world worldviews that he's walking through. And, and the Bible tells us that later in his life, he begins to turn back to his, his ancestry as a, as, a, as a Hebrew child. And he notices an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses intervenes. Thank the Lord for defenders, right? We need people in our life that defend the, the people that are weak, right? We need people that defend those that are being taken advantage of. And Moses jumps in and he goes too far. He kills the guy he's, he's defending somebody against. He becomes the abuser. Now there's a warrant out for his rest. He, he runs off and he takes, takes off into the hills and he hides in the backside of the desert. This is, if you looked at the Middle East, it's kind of this long peninsula. He would be on like the far southeastern side of the, of the peninsula is where he would be. He's out there hiding and doesn't know who he is. He, he discovers a, a family group the, out in, in that area, and he, he ends up falling in love with this girl, be, becomes married, and he, he starts tending the sheep of her dad. His name was Jethro. And for years, for decades, Moses is still on the run, living a shepherd's life, although he has been educated in a palace. And God has more for Moses than he is living out, and God will always call you to the purpose he has put in your life. Have you ever felt like you're not living up to what God really wants from your life? Because sometimes we're still, it's not that we're wrong, but we're still in the season of the backside of the desert. But God still, the purposes he put in you are still there. The Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That means they don't go away. What God placed inside of your spirit when you first got saved, that, that desire to do something, it's still there. So Moses, as he's shepherding sheep, he, uh, this is what it says in Exodus chapter 3. It says, one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. I think this is interesting, that before the children of Israel went on Mount Sinai to get the law from God, it had long before been called the mountain of God. It was already known as the mountain of God. When, when he's out there, he sees this bush that is burning, which isn't necessarily an unusual thing. I mean, it, it'd be something you would want to keep your eye on in case it starts a, a, a grassland fire out there in the desert. But this bush is burning and it is not being consumed. It's, the fire is not going out. So it's unusual. And Moses begins to go to it to see what is going on with this unusual bush. And it says this, and when the, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. When we look at this passage, we see the very first principle in understanding how we, how we cultivate the presence of God in our life. God calls to Moses from the bush, and Moses responds, here I am. And this is the principle of proclamation. What this means is, whoever has your ear has your future. 
The most consequential decision you will make in your entire life is who has your ear. Because who you choose to listen to will dictate the course of your future. And so many of us, we live in this world that's just driven by social media, and we think that, that we are being somehow objective by the data we take in, and we forget that we are being tricked by algorithms to believe that the entire world that thinks right thinks like us, and everyone who thinks differently than us is a psychopath. I'm telling you, we need a little more discernment to understand that we have control of who has our ears. We've got to have discernment. It's, and I'm not talking about a, a, a spiritual gift of discernment. I'm saying we need real-life practical discernment to decide who gets to have our ears. Because the truth is, good people don't always give good advice. Sometimes really good people give bad advice. And we have to determine who gets our ear. And let me tell you a secret. Successful people are selective. Successful marriages are selective in who they let to speak into their marriage. Selective businessmen are selective into who they allow to speak into their life. Successful teachers are selective into who they allow to speak into their their career. I'm just saying it matters who we allow to speak into our lives. We've got to be selective. And people will misinterpret your selectiveness. And they'll think you're being snooty. And they'll think you're being hoity-toity and too good. But it's not that you're too good. It's this. It's that you, you just can't allow everything into your ears. You can't just allow everybody with an opinion to have access to your ears because sometimes I'm already struggling enough to hear from God and I don't need you to make it harder for me to hear from God. There's times when I'm already dealing with discouragement in my life and I don't need you to show me all the reasons why I should be discouraged. I'm trying hard enough to be positive. I don't need you in my ear reminding me why I should be negative. This is like Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are in the prison, and they decide who they're going to listen to. They can either listen to the the, the prison guards and the other inmates who have been in there, and they can listen to the sound of the doors locking, or they can listen to each other begin to worship God and say, no, if you're going to worship God, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to find someone that provokes me to where I want to go. This is the principle of proclamation. It matters who you give access to your ears. Moses is saying, I want to give God access to my ears. God speaks to him. He says, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. The place where you are standing is holy ground. And this my friends, is the principle of place. It's the principle of place. Because God always creates a place before he creates the people. I I said this first service and I had people come up to me afterwards to kind of try to get me to like figure out 
Okay, I'm going to talk about creation, right? In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God is creating the world. And God creates the earth as a place before he puts a person there. This is a principle all throughout Scripture, that God creates the place before he puts the person there. So, for instance, during the days of creation, God creates water before he creates fish because he's preparing a place for fish. He creates land before he creates spiders. Right? I would, I would have loved to like, be able to weigh in on that one. Like, ah, can we leave those guys out? But God creates land before he creates critters. God creates air before he creates birds. And he creates all of it before he creates Adam. Why? Because he's creating a place for Adam. This is the same thing that we see in like the, the rebuilding of the temple, like rebuilding of, the, of, of Jerusalem. He calls people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city of Jerusalem before there are inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem. In the desert, he calls the people of God to come together to build a tabernacle before there is a place to worship. Why? Because God always establishes a place before he brings the people. Get this. That's what's going on right here. That's what's going on. God established this place for people that are not here yet. Like, I, I love it. This is my church home, too. Like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. This is, this is our place. But I'm telling you, God does something like this for people that aren't here yet. Like, God wants to, God wants to reach more people. Like, it's no wonder that God is flooding this valley with people that are looking for change in their life. And I'm just telling you, he established this room for people that aren't in these seats yet. Pastor, I just don't know if I want to be part of a church that's growing. <laughs> Sucks to be lost then. I want to reach the world for Jesus. God always creates a place before he creates a person. And what he creates for Adam is this place called Eden. It's a place of his presence, a place where he walks with him in the still of the day. And can I just tell you that you and I have been created to operate at our very best in the presence of God. Like if, if nothing else was wrong in the world, we, we would be best when we operate in the presence of God. And can I just tell you that you don't have to be at the mercy of someone else's place, but you and I were also created in theo theological terms we call this co-creators with God. This means this, that you and I have been given the ability to create things. We can create atmospheres. We can create spaces. I'm just saying, like, you can choose. I'm going to, in the middle of whatever's going on in my life, I'm going to create an atmosphere in my home that worships God. I'm going to invite his presence into my home. I'm going to change the environment of right where I'm at. And you can change the environment right in your car. You can change the environment right in your kitchen. You can change the atmosphere of what's going on in your living room, in the laundromat down the street, in the boardroom. You can invite the presence of God wherever you are and create a place for his presence. This is why some of you, you come on a Sunday and you think, why do I, why do I cry on Sundays? Why do I feel, some of you are like tough men and you're like, you're like all hard. Look at you, you're all hard, but then but you're like, I don't know why I feel the way I do when I go to church on Sundays. I don't feel that any other time of the week. You know Why? 
because this is a place for the presence of God. It's not because the singers were so amazing. It's not because the preaching was so good. It's that the presence of God is here. That's what you're sensing. And you can create that anywhere you walk. You've got that ability. He goes on, Moses, it says this in chapter 13. Moses and God are kind of going back and forth about Moses' insecurities. And Moses finally says this. He says, but, but Moses protested. He said, if, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? This is, this is Moses, he's leaning into another principle that we need to know to develop the presence of God in our life. And this is the principle of partnership. It's not just important who you allow to have your ear. It's not just important the place that you allow yourself to be in. It matters who you walk with in life. Moses is saying, I recognize this, but I need to know who am I walking with today. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. Watch this. Associate with fools and get in trouble. It does not say fools get in trouble. It says associate with a fool and you're going to get in trouble. You can be the smartest, wisest person on the planet, but you associate with fools, you're going to get hurt. It's the principle of partnership. It's the principle of partnership. <clears throat> this is another one where, where people can misinterpret it. They, they think that, man, you're, you're just... You're just being too, too good now. You're, I'm hearing this low hum. Is anybody else hearing this? Okay, it's, okay. I'm really good at ignoring things, just so you know. Am I, hearing Am I the only one who's going deaf right now? This is... Bull. It's cranking up. It's about to take off. <laughs> but here's what happens with this principle of partnership. We... We'll recognize, like, if, if I'm going to get to where God has called me, I've got to begin deciding who I listen to, where I go, and who I allow in my life, who I'm going to walk with in my life. Because truly, I can look at your best five friends and tell you where you're going in life. I can, I can look at the, the five people that surround you the most, and I can tell you how you think about the world around you. I can tell you how you treat women. I can tell you how, what you think about men. I can tell you how you handle your money by the five people you hang around preacher. Are you serious? That's really judgy. It's true. It's true. If you want to grow in your life, you've got to be willing. If you want to grow in the presence of God in your life, you've got to be willing to start partnering with people that want the presence of God in their life. But you don't understand. Somebody come up to you, man, you've changed and you didn't. Your old friends want to talk about all the stuff you used to do and the way you used to roll. And they're like, man, you've changed. And you didn't change. 
I grew up, and you needed to grow up, but you stayed where you were. I'm just telling somebody today, it matters that we have partnership with good people in our lives. If you want the presence of God in your life, you got to surround yourself with people that are going in the same direction you want to go. I'm preaching like a thousand percent better than you're responding. <laughs> Some of you are like, ooh, what you need is a friendectomy is what you need. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, some people hear that and they think, oh, like, oh, he's just being, you know, being mean. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying people that want to keep you in, in the version of you that wasn't pursuing God, yeah. you, you need to have the confidence and maturity to say, no, I'm going to chase after the things of God. I want the word of God in my life. I want the presence of God in my life. I want everything he has for me, and I don't have time to be drugged down. Like, I'll bring you with me, but if you're not coming with me, because there's no such thing as a neutral relationship. They're either assets or liabilities. I, I'm, I'm, I can preach cotton candy too if you want. but <clears throat> And God, God replies to Moses because Moses asks him, he says, who am I partnering with? And this is what God says. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And there's so much we could unpack here because the, the, the words he's using for I am actually don't have a, a time stamp on them. They're actually very, they're, it's a broad word. It basically means I am what I was, I am, I am why I was, I am right now, I am what I will be. Like it's, it's like this very broad word. But what is going on is God is showing Moses, again, this principle the principle is the principle of personhood. I mean, can you imagine? Moses says, can I tell them who's sending me? And God says, absolutely. You ready? Get a pen and paper. Moses is ready with his pen and paper. And God says, I am that I am. That I am. Like, like if... if it feels like God is ignoring him. It feels like God is being evasive to him. But God is actually showing him this principle. And here, here it is. The principle of personhood is this, is that there is more to me than you have already met in me. There is more to me than when you first met me. There's more to the person sitting next to you than what you know about the person sitting next to you. So often we limit somebody to what we first knew about that person. And can I just tell you, if that person is progressing in the things of God, there is more developing and growing inside of them that should not be limited to what you once knew about them. You saw her on the side of the road getting a DUI test, but you know what? The calling of God was on her life, and she's not limited by that DUI test. I'm just saying, like, God pulls people out of what they once were, and he brings them to another place because we serve a God that has this principle of person there's more to the person than what you heard about them there's more to the person than what you see on the outside there's more to the person than who the family is like there's more to them than what you see and when you limit that person to what you once knew about them you will never get from them all that there is to them I just think one of our greatest areas of deliverance is from the opinions of people that want to keep us stuck. 
I'm saying like, like you may have been stuck in the past, but that's not the person that you are. That's a decision you made. And there's more to it. Like if, if we can move beyond what we did and become who God called us to be. Because God created you for more. And, and here's, the, here's the catch. Is that this concept, that there's more to the person than you see, it also applies to God. And that's what God is showing Moses. Because this word, I am, this idea of Jehovah, it's really a prefix. It's a prefix. He's saying, Moses, I cannot tell you all that I am in this one conversation. It's going to take a lifetime of following me to discover all the different aspects of who I actually am. It's going to take you walking through discouraging times to discover that I'm a comforter. It's going to take you walking through times when you lose that you discover I'm the victory. It's going to take times when you don't have enough, when you discover that I'm the provider. I'm just telling somebody today, when God says, I am to Moses, what he's telling him is, Moses, there's a blank check as to who I am. I'm, I, I will be all the things you need when you need them. And if you are limited only only to the revelation you have of me, you'll miss so much more. He's saying, I am when you need a doctor, I am the doctor. When you need a counselor, I am the counselor. When you need a friend that sticks closer than any brother, I am your ride or die. He's saying, when you need a sponsor that'll pick up the phone at all hours of the night, I am that I am. I'm just telling somebody, he's more than you knew he was. And this is why we struggle to worship him so much because we worship him only at the level that we know about him. Because you cannot worship God beyond your revelation of God. What I'm saying is if you only know him as a savior, you will only worship him as a savior. And that's good. We should worship him for what he's done in saving our lives. But I'm just telling you that's, that's a limited worship. If you only know that he is holy, and he is holy, and it is a description of who he is, and it is beautiful, you will only worship him for being other. But I'm telling you, he is also great and wonderful and close. He's so much more, and we can only know the more as we go through life and experience the more. This is why when you talk to somebody that's been living for God for years, They'll say, like, when I look back over my life, I remember this song when I grew up. When I look back over my life and I think things over, I can truly say that I've been blessed. I have a testimony. What's, that, what's going on there? Somebody's saying, God has become so much more to me than what I knew of him when I first met him. And so as the people of God go into the wilderness, God begins to fill in the blank of all the things that he actually is, opening their minds and their eyes and their hearts to all that he is. Matt Redman says it like this. He says, we cannot truly sing of what we have not seen. Worship is a reflex of a ransomed soul. So we worship God in response to how he has shown himself to us. 
This is why I love it when addicts get saved. Because they just worship God different than people that have been in church all their life. Oh, they're just emotional. No, they have just experienced an aspect of God that you have not experienced yet. I love it when a couple that has been on the brink of divorce and they just feel like there's no hope left in the world and God shows them that he is the most wonderful counselor that has ever been and you see that couple holding hands, tears streaming down their face because of what God's did in their life and you're just like, oh, they're just emotional. No, they're not emotional. They've just experienced a part of God that you have not experienced yet. So in... I'm going to give you just, just a handful of the names of God. And you can go do a study on your own time, or we may just throw together a collection of messages where we just kind of go through all of them. But when Abraham is about to offer Isaac on the altar, and he's about to drop this knife into Isaac as, as some sort of obedience to God, God reveals to Abraham that he is so much more than a demanding God that expects uh, uh, contribution. He's not, he's not a God that's looking for tribute. And he reveals to Abraham, instead of the God of tribute, he's the God that is the provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. He brings a lamb up into, the, up into the mountain, wraps its head around a bunch of bushes and said, look, I brought you my own sacrifice. He's the God that provides. And what that means for you and I, for, for Abraham, what that meant was he's the God that provided his own sacrifice, which he did for you and I. But what it also means for us is this, is that when I don't have enough food to put money to put food on the table, he's the God that I can trust to show up when I don't have enough. When I'm pinching pennies to try to make rent, he's the God that can show up when I need you. He's the God that provides. When I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with my crazy kids, he's the God that can provide. Ah, he's in the word. Jehovah Nisi, this is the time when, when Moses, they're fighting the Amalekites. They're, they're fighting another uh, tribe of people out in the desert as they're wandering. And, and as they're fighting, Moses goes up on, on a mountain and he raises his hand and, and he begin, becomes tired. And every time his hands drop, the children of Israel begin to lose the fight. And the people begin to notice that every time his hand would go up, they would win the fight. And every time he'd get tired, they'd lose the fight. And so two young men come up alongside of him and they, they hoist up his arms. And when they do this, they discover that the God has the strength, that people are able to look to Moses with those hands raised and win the battle. And in that moment, they discovered something about God they never knew about him before, that he is also Jehovah Nisi, which means God is my banner. Not like a banner on the side of a building that says grand opening unimportant. What it means is, like in old-timey days when they would fight, there would be somebody holding this pole with a big flag on it, and the flag represented their battalion. And that's how they would know. They didn't have comms like we have today. That's how they would know whether to move forward in fighting or to retreat in fighting, where to center and what to do based on that banner. And so when they say, God is my Nisi, what they're saying is, when I don't know if I'm going to win the fight, I can look to God and I can know that the victory is mine. If I just follow him, the victory is mine. Because it's one thing to just survive a fight. Lots of fighters survive a fight. It's another thing to win the fight. Jehovah Nisi. The next is Jehovah Rohi. 
This means that he is my shepherd. This means when I, when I need guidance and direction, he's my guide. He's my direction. When I, when I don't know what to do next and I don't have enough information to make the right decision, I can follow his calming voice in the direction he's called me to be. And when I know that there's been times in my life when I didn't know what to do next and I didn't know how to have that conversation and I didn't know how to do all those things, I'm just telling you, there's, there's times when I can look at God and say, God, you were just faithful to lead me and guide me. Yeah. Faithful to just be, be this ever-present help in a time of need. I could, I could just follow you. This is what the Bible says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or make your paths straight. What it does not say is, trust in the Lord with all your heart and you will feel like God is leading you. It doesn't say that. But it says if you acknowledge him in all your ways, You'll discover, as you trust him and acknowledge him, that he will lead you whether you're feeling it or not. Because he is Jehovah Rohi. He's a shepherd. He leads us and guides us. He's Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom means he's the God of peace. Because there are some things in life that God is not going to change. There are some difficulties we walk through that are hard to take. But in the most difficult of seasons, I can know that he is still faithful to be my peace in the middle of the struggle. Man, that is so loud. Jehovah Makshi, the Lord is my refuge. This means when I don't know where to turn and I can't find safety around me, when there's no one I can rely on, I can run to him. The Bible says this, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. I can run to him. Well, why am I saying all of these? I'm saying them because I'm hoping to open our eyes to who we're worshiping so that we would not be ignorant about him, but we would discover there's so much more to him. And the last one is this. Jehovah Makedesh. It means this, God sanctifies me. The God that sanctifies. What does that mean? Sanctifying is, so when we're saved, that's, that's us initially being justified or, or saved by God. But there's this ongoing process in our life where we begin to change internally and outwardly to align with what he's calling us to do. He's not the God that stands at the door and says, you gotta, you got to get, get straight before you get in. That's, that's not what he does. He saves us, and then he transforms us through this process we call sanctification. But he is the God that sanctifies. So what that means is, is when you've been beating yourself up because you're trying to live a good life, but it just doesn't seem to work. When you get frustrated because your self-destructive behavior just doesn't seem 
to stop. When your problem is that it's not just a season, it's a cycle. When, when, when you, you, you want out of that cycle, but, and you know that God loves you, but you just don't seem to be able to cut the ties. When, when it just feels like you've prayed and nothing happened, you fasted and it didn't work, and you were free for a season, and you went right back into it, and you begin hating yourself and just despising yourself, and it's killing your joy, and it's killing your peace. Let me tell you that he is Jehovah Makedesh. He's the God that sanctifies. So when you can't change yourself, you were never intended to change yourself because he's the God that changes you. He's the God that when I can't fix it on my own and I can't get rid of the behavior on my own, I say, God, you're still the God that sanctifies me. I'm trusting in you to do the transformation in my life. And that is a beautiful thing because I can worship him for what I have not yet experienced in my life. I think there's some of you that are bound by what you still struggle with. And if you can realize he's the God that changes me, I can worship him for what I am not yet. Would you stand with me all across the room? I love you. I hope, I hope this series is helping us because I, I want us to be people of the presence of God. People of the word of God, people of the presence of God. And when we have a better understanding of him, we can worship him for what he is, for who he is. So for some of you today, what you really heard was, I, I need to change who I'm listening to. I'm telling you, that will affect the presence of God. That will, that will cultivate a space for the presence of God in your life. For some of you, what you heard was, I've got to start creating a place for God. Let's do that. I've got to, I've got to have this partnership. I, I've got to, or maybe for you, is I've got to discover the personhood of God. I've got to discover more. I need to be on this ongoing journey of discovering who he is. I'm telling you, it will be a sweet journey. Would you kind of just raise your hands all across the room? Lord, you are wonderful you are true you are always right and we surrender our lives to you God I pray that you would reveal your goodness and your greatness how wonderful you are that we wouldn't just worship what we've known about you but we would constantly be discovering the wonders of who you are and honoring you for it God, I pray for the person that today was convicted about, about friendships and voices in their ear. I pray they'd have the confidence to stand on their own two feet, not to be snooty, but confidence to make drastic changes so they could cultivate your presence in their life. We love you today because you're holy, you're good, you're faithful, you're a provider, you're a counselor, you're a friend. Grand, you're the creator. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.